All right. Praise the name of Jesus. He's wonderful. Amen. He's worthy of all the praise. Let's prepare our hearts as we look into the word this morning. God is so good. He has a word for you. It's been on my heart all week. And I want to just dive right into the word this morning. Let's go to the book of Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. We're going to go right there and then we're going to dive into Luke chapter 12. God, you're so good. Amen. He's so good. There it is. He's so good. So, so good. I want to let you know that the importance of this message uh, that was laid on my heart is that I did an outline. So if you would like to uh, get the notes, I'm not sure if uh, you saw them in the back, but if you would like to get a note, um, you can do that right now and, and get the note. This message is so important uh, because I believe it is going to position us. It's going to position us for influence. It's going to position us to understand this idea, this concept of discipleship and how important it really is. And so these are, there are seven applications that I want to uh, go through with you. Um, I will say in advance that I'm not going to be able to do a deep dive into everyone. The assignment was simply to give you the outline. It was to give you the outline of what it means to, be in, uh, to live every day. What does it mean for everyday living? And the subtitle for that, as I was diving into this message, is how to live or everyday living free from hypocrisy, fear, anxiety, and worry. I think that's a really good one for all of us, right? How to live free from hypocrisy, fear, anxiety, and worry. And Jesus talks a lot about that. And so I think it's a good idea to look at Jesus and to see what he says about these things. All right? So let's pray. As we look into the word this morning, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for your presence. We thank you that you are uh, on the throne and that you rule and you reign. And we just thank you for your peace that's with us this morning. Thank you for your peace, Lord God, that passes understanding. Thank you that there is nothing broken, nothing missing, that your peace Pastors all understand him. We honor you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, I'm so excited about this message. I really am. And the reason for it is because I believe that, that God wants us to, to get a hold of this so that we can live every day in victory. Live every day free from these things that are causing us to get stuck or causing us not to have our light shine as bright as, as we can. And so as we take a look in, in um, uh, Luke chapter 11, I'm going to read the first two verses, and then we're going to dive into Luke chapter 12. And so in Luke chapter 11, and what I love about this is that if you know, Luke is also the author of the book of Acts. And there are certain things that Jesus did that when Matthew, Mark, and John writes about it. They write it from their unique perspective. But when Luke writes about it, Luke wants us to really get a hold of, ready, the Holy Spirit. Luke really wants to drive this point home to us 
that you must be filled with the Spirit if you are a believer in Christ. You must be. From, a part, from when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the idea of God is for you to live that way. It's to live as a person of the Spirit. And so as we take a look now in Luke chapter 11, verse 1 and verse 2, it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, So there is 12 disciples that Jesus has. There were three that was really close to him. And there was also 70 that was part of the bigger picture. And he, they said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. They're in the reading of God's word. So as we take a look at this, the first thing we must understand is this, that, that there was something about Jesus that when he prayed, it was different from the way that they were religiously taught how to pray. There was something unique about the way Jesus prayed. And so when he finished, I love this, one of his disciples said to him, and I mentioned that there were 12 that Jesus uh, called and uh, called them apostles. Then there were the three, Peter, James, and John, that was the closest to him. And then there was also the seven that he sent out to do great things. And so as we take a look at this, I love it because one of the disciples had the boldness to say, hey, I'm going to ask him a question. You see, you need someone in your camp who's going to be bold to ask questions. Amen, somebody? You, you, you need to make sure that when you look at all your friends, all the people that are with you, that you have someone that wants to ask questions for everyday living. You got to have someone like that in your camp. At least one person like that that says, you know what? I want to take this relationship with Jesus to another level. And so I'm going to ask him. I'm going to see an aspect of Jesus that just, that just boggles my mind. I want to see an aspect of Jesus. And I'm going to ask him, Jesus, can you teach me to do what you're doing? I mean, that ought to be the litmus test for our growth is that we continually go before Jesus and say, Jesus, can you teach me the way you do things? And so they asked the question and he says, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So on Wednesdays, we've been taking a group of people through this dive deep into discipleship. And one of the things that we brought up and we mentioned for those in the class, we says you're being discipled by somebody. You're either being discipled by the culture or you're being discipled by Christ. You're either being influenced by the world system or you're being influenced by the word of God in scripture. And so here we see that they're saying now that discipleship was vital because John, who was the forerunner, the cousin of Jesus, he was out and there were people following him because they thought he was the Messiah. They thought he was the one that Malachi talked about that was to come. So the people were anticipating this, this ruler who was going to come, this Messiah, who was going to fulfill scripture. And so they looked at John and said, surely John must be the one. But John recognized and John says, hey, no, 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 I must decrease, he must increase. That I play a role in bringing the gospel to a people, but I am not the main one. And so I believe in John's heart, everyday living was part of his uh, agenda. That every day I want to make sure that what I'm doing draws people to Jesus. It's very important. It's very important for that. Now, the maturity of this message is this. The maturity of this message is this, is that I'm speaking to a people who's past the place of just getting to heaven. 
I'm not talking to a group like that. That's, a, that's more of an evangelistic message of you need to know Jesus. And absolutely, if you don't know Jesus, you need to know him as Lord and Savior. We're praying for you to come and be obedient to the call of God in your life. So I just want to establish that. Because there has to be a time where we move from milk to meat. There's got to be a time that we go deep into the word of God and you get equipped and empowered and not just entertained. There's got to be a place in time where we challenge and where you're confronted to see God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit in a new way. The reason why is because the individual that simply just wants to make it to heaven doesn't really concern themselves with after their salvation experience. That they have this experience with Jesus and they're good and that's fine. But there's a group of people right here. Come on. There's a group of people that says, I have to live this way every day. That I understand that God did a miraculous work in my life and I want everybody to know about it. That I want the boldness to proclaim the goodness of Jesus. And if that's the case, it must begin first with prayer. It must begin with a place of where you say, Jesus, teach me how to pray. And so they taught him. And he says, when you pray, says, Father, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. So, so with that being the foundation, with that being the, the, the backdrop of everything here, the first application for everyday living free from hypocrisy, fear, anxiety, worry, is this. The first thing that someone who wants everyday living says this, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's the first thing. That's the first thing they say. They automatically begin by saying this, your kingdom come, your will be done. So they place themselves in a position of where they want God's sovereignty to rule and reign in their lives personally and prophetically impact the people they have influence over. So what they're saying is this, your rule and reign. So God, your kingdom, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as in heaven. So everyday living, they begin this way. God, I want your rule and reign in my life. I am tempted to live a life contrary to what the word of God tells me. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. So your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't want to live in this aspect of fear. Write this down. Fear is normal, but it's not original. Fear is normal, but it's not original. It wasn't in the original design of God. But it's normal. It's an emotion that we experience at time. And if we don't recognize where fear came from, we then will live a life contrary to what God has for us. And Jesus is establishing something here because he's about to do a teaching in Luke 12. And he says, I've got to lay the foundation for you. I have to get a kingdom-minded people to understand how important it is that everyday living Free from hypocrisy, fear, anxiety, and worry requires you to understand God's kingdom is here. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. One of the great texts that we, that we preach and, and football players put it on, on their face and everything and, and its banners is John 3, 16. 
One of the great texts. For God so what? Loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. But if we back up before that, and Nicodemus, who had to understand the kingdom. So before people can hear the power of that evangelistic message, that for God so loved the world, Nicodemus had to process his tradition to get kingdom understanding. And it's only when you understand your kingdom come, your will be done, can you fully understand the salvation of soul, that the person you thought was so far away from God, God's able to save them. Why? Because of his kingdom. His sovereign rule and reign. His ability to know exactly what's going on. You are saved and brought into a kingdom because Jesus says, unless you are born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom. Not go to heaven. We're getting there. But you will enter into a way of living every day. Oh my goodness. That reflects the transformation that you know me. That I've redeemed you and brought you back. So I know it's normal to fear, but it's not from the original design. And so the reason why you utter every single day, your kingdom come, your will be done, is because you have to address this hypocrisy that is in all of us trying to live out God's word outside of the power of his kingdom. And so he writes and he says, the first thing you do is your kingdom come, your will be done. That was the assignment of Jesus. So when you gave your heart to Jesus, you entered into a kingdom. You enter into a way of thinking that is going to challenge every philosophy and every structure that exists. Are you hearing me? That by design, you are going to be challenged in what you were even brought up into to believe. That you are going to be challenged. And that's why we don't pray this way. Because if we pray this way and God's kingdom comes, you have to surrender to his lordship and his rulership. And so they say, teach us how to pray like that with power and not just formula. And so everyday living is this. Is your kingdom come, your will be done. You know what's interesting and what I love about this is I don't want to go to that church because there are so many hypocrites. How many ever heard that? (laughs) Come on. The Lord knows y'all are hiding, right? You know family members that they, the reason why they ain't serving God is because there are so many hypocrites. <laughs> and I tell them the reason why you see hypocrites is because you're not looking for the kingdom. Because when you look for the kingdom, you will find people who are praying, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, because I don't want to just read the word. I want to live the word every single day of my life. That's so good. That's so good. There's no reason why. There's no reason why. Everywhere where God has established a group of people to me, that there should be an empty chair. There's no reason for it. Here's what I'm saying. What I'm telling you is this, is that God and his building of his church said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. That whatsoever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. 
And so I'm not just talking about gathering on Sunday. No, no. This is everyday living. Come on. That every day you gather together. And so when you do that, you recognize that it first begins with this. And so how, how does this happen? Number one, and I shared this the first time I preached this month. I said you have to ask God properly when you pray. Not perfection, but you have to ask God properly when you pray. So that's what Jesus is saying here. Here is the proper way of praying. And so he teaches them how to do that. The second thing is what Abigail shared on Sunday. And here's what I got from that message. You have to view God correctly. So when you are saying your kingdom come, your will be done, and everyday living, what you're saying is this. God, I want to ask you in prayer properly. I want to come before you recognizing that you are Father and that you're separate from anything else. That your name holy means it means to separate from anything else. That's what it means. It means there is no other God but God. There's nothing you can bring that's in the category of God. And so when we understand that God is separate, we recognize now that he is the standard of living. Ooh, my God. He is, the, he, he, is, he is the standard of living. And what happens then is I bow to his rulership. I surrender to his rulership. I don't lower this. Come on. Oh, I go low. And so anyone then or anything that tries to bring you up. Oh, come on, somebody. That wants you to compromise his standard. Ah. You've got to rebuke that and says, no, his kingdom come, his will be done in my life. And that's living in the standard that God wants. And so it all begins in prayer. It all begins in prayer. The enemy is going to fight you when it comes to prayer. He is. I'm telling you, I can, I can listen to Maverick for hours. But if I turn off and say, let me pray. Oh, gosh, I'm so... Come on. So the very thing you need to live every day, free from hypocrisy, is prayer, is a thing the enemy fights us on. Because he knows if you win the battle on your knees, oh God. Woo! If you win the battle on your knees, because you refuse to compromise the standards. And so I'm staying on my knees and I'm saying, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in my life. And he establishes that. And he says... View God correctly. Because here is what I got from the message on Sunday. And I love this. I wrote this down in my book. I said, that was so good. If you don't view God correctly, you will be tempted to manipulate his word. We would take his word to fit our situation. And not let his word change the situation. (laughs) And so we will manipulate the word, and we're seeing it all over now. I told the group in discipleship, I said they did a survey, Barner survey, and the results were produced in May. Well, that's when, when I read it, it was in May. And, and they asked these six questions of people of what do you believe about the word? What do you believe about the sinless life of Jesus? And when I told the group the, the percentage, 37%. Believe in the absolute truth of the word of God. That Jesus lived a sinless life. 37% of the people. 
37% of, guess what, pastors. 37% of pastors, folks, believe the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And when I look at this, I have to understand that what is this is that it's not that they don't believe in God. About 90% believe in God. What they're saying is this, is that I have to manipulate the word of God so it suits my preference for a culture that has itching ears. And God doesn't care if you just move a little bit. Come on, man. God knows what you're going through. And God knows. And what happens is they deny us of the power to transform our lives. Don't water down the word if you love me. Don't sugarcoat the word if you love me. Come on. If you love me, tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth will help you, God. Tell me the truth. Because I want the kingdom of God to operate in my life. It's my flesh that's fighting you. Come on. It's my flesh. It's my emotions. You're talking me out of something that I've been ingrained with. So talk to me with the word of God. Why? Because I don't want to live a life as a hypocrite. We're going to get the word and show you how this really operates. And so you have to view him. And not only will we manipulate him if you don't view him correctly, You'll also be offended when he's correcting you. See, if you don't know him as father, you'll manipulate and try to get your way. Come on, parents. (laughs) We have kids, come on, that tries to do that with us, right? And they get offended at the word of God. See, the reason why I'm teaching you this is because Jesus recognized that everyday living, free from hypocrisy, fear, anxiety, and worry is vital. Absolutely critical. And so now that we have your kingdom come, your will be done, let's move on to now the next part of what he wants to address. And let's go to Luke chapter 12. Let's flip over and let's go to Luke chapter 12. And now he says, I've laid the foundation. You've embraced the kingdom mindset. You now understand that you are born again and you enter into the kingdom of God. Now, some of you may say, Roy, you're just playing with words, save, and this. No, I'm telling you, Jesus said in his word that you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Jesus said it, not me. Jesus said that. So we should probably be asking, what is the kingdom then, as opposed to what's heaven? We probably want to ask that. What is the kingdom? Why? And I tell people this all the time. You've heard it over and over again. The moment you gave your heart to Jesus, you aren't taken right out. You're still here. (laughs) So that means the goal is not heaven. The goal is to bring heaven on earth through the kingdom. That you are an ambassador. Come on. You're an embassy. Excuse me. It's like if you go to another nation, when I was in Washington and we were driving the embassy row, and, and every time we passed and there was the, 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 the flag or the, 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 the emblem of a nation, that particular place was sovereign. It was as if they were in their own country. And so what happens when you enter into the kingdom of God, you bring heaven now and you have jurisdiction over an area that, you, that God wants you to rule and reign in as he rules and reigns. Are you following me? And so when you're born again, your eyes are open to the purpose that God has for your life. And so this is important because because we got to move from a place of just existing to a place of where we're living. Uh, That's good right there. 
that we're not just occupying space, breathing in and breathing out, but we're actually doing something and seeing transformation take place in your life. It's so good to know that God wants to use us to partner with him. And I'm humbled by that. I'm amazed that God, who could do it by himself, has invited you and I into his redemptive work in the earth by letting people know, as Jesus did, your kingdom is here. And so now in Luke 12, he goes and he says, okay, now that you've gotten that, you've understand that the difference is going to, in Luke 12, he says now, in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together, they were trampling one another. So all the people came and they were all rushed into where they were just stepping over people and just like a stampede to get to hear Jesus. And if you go on, it says, he began to say to his, I don't know if it's up there, disciples first. Not the crowd. He says to his disciples first. So now he's teaching them. He says, okay, now you recognize the kingdom come, your will be done. He now moves in and he says to his disciples, I'm going to talk to you first. Church, I'm going to talk to you first about what is so important. And he goes and he says this. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He comes out of the gate and he lets them know and he says, listen. Beware of the leaven. Leaven is always, maybe a rare time it's using a positive, but all the time it's used as a negative. It means don't let the influence of the Pharisees, don't let that get into you like when leaven gets in. It says don't, don't let that happen because that is going to be called what? Hypocrisy. So if we're going to define what is being a hypocrite, we have to look at what Jesus calls it. And he's saying the reason why you even entertain being hypocrites is because you're not aware of the leaven of the Pharisees. So he's saying if you understand how to live free from this, he begins to say, disciples, you need to know this. He says, be aware of it. Why? And he goes further. He says, because nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetop. What he's saying is this, point number two. So every day living, I first begin, your kingdom come, your will be done. The second thing I do now, as a disciple of Christ, wanting to be aware of a religious spirit, what I must do is this. It's a matter of the heart. He's saying now the issue for hypocrisy is the heart. He goes right to it. He says the issue is the heart. Is that what's being taught is moving from your head and it's getting to your heart. And so he says, I just don't want to change the way you think. I have to get to the root of who you believe. And he said, if you believe the way they believe that you're now going to live ready for this, you're going to live a life that's hidden. You're going to live a life of human agenda. You're going to live a life contrary to what God has for you. And the issue that the enemy is after is your heart. He is after your heart. The Bible says, guard your heart because out of it are what? The issues of life. Oh. The heart, your belief is because of your heart. And what he's saying here is this. And when I was writing this, I was like, God, search my heart then. Search my heart. Because if I'm seeing that I'm believing a religious 
teaching, it can corrupt and I can become judgmental. Oh, God. And I can then become envious. Oh, my God. And then I, as a pastor, if I'm living this way, I can influence the people and now they're corrupt. Oh, my God. God, help me. Search my heart, Jesus. Every morning when you wake up, you say, God, search my heart. God, I want to encounter you. I want you to be on the throne of my heart. For out of it are the issues of life. So when something happens to me or I'm disappointed, it affects my heart. Oh, my goodness. When you love, we love with all your heart. A broken heart is dangerous if not healed by God. Come on. And so we can see here that he's telling us it's not a matter of your heritage. It's your heart. Oh, God. He's dealing with the heart issue. I know you're waiting for the Messiah. I know Rome is giving you pressure. I know you've come out of bondage. I know all those things. But the issue, say with me, is the heart. So when you're raising children, when you're pastoring or when you're parenting or a business, deal with the issues of the heart. It's the heart. It's really about the heart. You know, what's interesting is that you read Jesus and you see demonic activities that came around Jesus, right? And so there was a time where some, you know, there was a demoniac and Jesus got to the other side of the lake and the demoniac came out. And, and so Jesus came and rebuked it and rebuked the demon, you know, says, get out. And he, he came out and, and we see all those things and, and we're like, oh my gosh, the power of God. And the reason why those things happen, it still happens today, by the way. Hello? That the reason why miracles happen today is to establish his kingdom. It's not for you to get a name. It's not for me to get a name. It's to establish the kingdom of God is here. The reason why you pray for miracles, contrary to what people say, that God doesn't answer his prayer, tell them to be quiet and tell them the kingdom of God is here. Why? Because I'm praying for the kingdom of God to come here. And so the kingdom is here to let us know that God still rules and reigns. And there is coming a time where the fulfillment of all kingdom things will come. You got to hear that. That there is. It's here, but not fully. But it's here, but not fully. But if you notice the most interesting of all the enemy's plots and things wasn't the manifestation of a demonic thing. What it was with Judas eating meal with Jesus. And the Bible says Satan entered into his Entered into his heart where there was no manifestation of it. Come on. There was no foaming at the mouth. Come on. There was no, you know what I mean? There was none of that. It was just simply sitting there and allow the enemy to come into your heart. It was the matter of the heart. And if we spend time being distracted, come on, somebody. Over here, the devil wants us to be distracted over here so he can start entering hearts. Come on now. Come on. The root issue is the heart. He's not faithful. It's the heart. Come on, somebody. Come on. They're rebellious. It's the heart. And so everyday living requires you and I to say, God, it's a matter of the heart. Even David, when he recognized it wasn't Bathsheba's fault. Come on. It was his heart. And so he says, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. 
and renew a right spirit in me. It's the matter of the heart. And if you haven't won someone's heart, you will never get their allegiance. And so the hard work of discipleship is to go after the heart. Because most people have a barrier to it. Because they've been hurt. And the enemy imprisons us in our hearts. Come on. And the kingdom message comes for us to... I can't do it. Come on. Your kingdom come. So when you meet people, he says, your kingdom come. Oh, I can't do it. Come on, keep praying, keep praying. Your kingdom. Your kingdom. Open the gates so the king of glory can come in. Come on. Your kingdom. Oh, okay. There it is. It's a matter of the heart. The kingdom. It's the kingdom message that will open up every single heart. It's the message of the kingdom that we need to preach. Because he says to his disciples, disciples, don't be distracted. The issue is the heart. It's the heart. I tell people all the time, I said one of the most difficult things next to pastor and his parenting. is trying to raise another child with their own thinking and mindset and things. And to parent and to be able to influence and to be able to get to the aspect of the heart. The psychology will tell us that in the formation of a child, if we don't get them by the age of 12, their heart is going to be formed and shaped by a culture that's not for them. It's the heart, folks. It's the heart. And we can look at all the different things that goes on. And, and it's not the looks. Come on. Because we're mesmerized by the looks. It's not because they have a six pack. It's not because they have big arms. It's not because, you know, she's an hourglass. It's the heart. It's the issue of the heart. So we have to, as we're pursuing, get to a place where we recognize it is the issue of the heart. Ezekiel said it is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Only God can. So because it's the matter of the heart, here's what the deal is. In Galatians 2, I'm going to go to this real quick. Because see, in Galatians 2, excuse me, verses 11 to 13. Galatians chapter 2, 11 to 13. Here's what happens. So Peter now gets transformed when he goes to Cornelius' house. He recognized now that the gospel is for the Gentiles and God moves, right, and everything like that. And so all of a sudden now, they are now, in, in, in the book of Galatians, they're now meeting with some of the Gentiles. And Peter is there. His name is Caiaphas. They call him in, in Galatians. But it's Peter. And what happens now, Peter is chilling. He has Barnabas with him. They're having a great time. Paul is there. All of a sudden, the Bible says from the circumcised party, they come in now. So watch this now. They're having fellowship in the spirit. Everybody's welcome. Everything's good. On the outside, coming in now is a way of thinking. Coming in now is a philosophy. Coming in now is a pharisaic Judaism mindset that's now coming in. And so Peter now, Peter sees these people are coming. And what does he do now? He pulls away. 
He said, I can't be seen. I'm sending for what Jesus is about to teach her because he's teaching about fear, anxiety, and worry. And what he wants us to understand is that there's many aspects of fear. And I told you that fear is normal, but it's not original. But what Jesus is talking about here is to release the church. He's not just talking about fear in general. He's talking about the church for us to be able to be the light. And everyday living, he wants to break it down. So he wants to emphasize hypocrisy and human agenda is dangerous. Because even Peter, who I said, I give you the keys of the kingdom kingdom good God almighty that when people came from his past walked into his present come on it affected his future you got to hear what I'm saying that there comes a time you have to guard your heart because the past wants to come and affect your present to abort your future and so what happens now Peter sees them coming he pulls away and Barnabas follows him Barnabas says, if that's what Peter's doing and acting like a hypocrite, I'm going to do the same thing as well. And here's what happened. The reason why, and Jesus gets to it. He says, because you fear man. That's the reason why I'm not going there is because you fear man. Oh, God. And I've been in its grips of where manipulation has gotten a stranglehold on me. And it all came down to this place of fearing what man thinks about us. That's at the core of it. That there's things that God wants us to do. It's in the spirit. But we don't do it because we fear what other people are going to say about us. So here's the deal. God tells us something. We don't do it. That's called what? Disobedience. God says to do this. We don't do it. Why? Because we fear what man is going to say. Now, I'm not giving permission for you to just act out of order. Come on. You've got to be more mature than that. I'm talking about where God gives you a word that you know it's a kingdom word. Hallelujah. And you know your heart is pure. But because you fear what people think or what they're going to say, you pull away from it and you're not consistent with your conviction. And it's dangerous being a pastor and not consistent with conviction. You will cause the people to pull away from the purposes of God. You'll call people to question whether God is real or not. And so in this case, he says that. And so, and so as we move on, we see in 1 Peter 2 verse 1 that Peter gets it now because Peter goes ahead. And here's what Peter says after he understood this. Peter went and says, so put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Peter got it. Peter got a hold of it. Peter is like, oh my goodness. He's saying this. It's a matter of the heart. So put away malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Because here's the next thing, number three. Someone say number three. If it's a matter of the heart then, number three must be then, my heart or your heart is full of the fear of God. Your heart is full of the fear of God. So here's what he's saying. He's saying this. That this word fear that he's talking about is reverence, honor, and worship. Reverend, honor, and worship. And the thing about this particular fear is because this fear can be transferred to somebody else as well. Giving you reverence, honor, and worship. And the danger is becomes idolatry. 
And so he's saying this. He's like, your heart then must be full of the fear of God. And he breaks it down. And he says, you cannot be afraid of these religious people. You can't be afraid of what they're teaching. You have to understand this, that what is more important is the fear of God in your life. Can we just take a pause and pray right now that the fear of God will enter back into the hearts of God's people, that we will get to a place where we only reverence what God says. We only reverence what God is doing. We only honor God and God's word, and we only worship God and God alone alone. It's the fear of God. So I've got to make a decision. The fear of God is there. Not like I'm so scared. The fear of God in your decision is because you recognize this decision needs to give God reverence, needs to give God honor, needs to give God worship. Come on. And if we really have God look at our hearts, God will say, what? That's not me. And so we manipulate the word. Back to my first point. But God, that's what I want, but that's not my will for your life. But that's what I want, but that's not my will for your life. But that's what I want, but that's not my will for your life. Do you know how hard it is to live in the will of God? It means you have to crucify your flesh, how hard it is. And so there's a fear of God. Not the fear of God that we see that was normal when Adam and Eve sinned. Not that fear, people. Oh, God, God's going to strike me down if I make a mistake. Oh, God, God, no. You've got to get free from that, folks, because that's holding you back. You don't know your father then. Not this run and hide. Oh, my goodness, God's going to just shout, no. God's this drill master. No, 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 no. View God correctly, people. He's a heavenly father. He loves you. He loves me. God has great things for us. God's will is perfect for my life. And so he's saying, if the fear of God is not there, and then he breaks it down to three areas. Why then should my heart be full of the fear of God? Great question. Why? I mean, I'm my own boss, right? That's a lie. Oh, man. I'm working on this message. Um, help me, Jesus. I'm working on the message that, let me, let me put it this way. There's a, there's a remnant of people who are hungry for God's word and God's word only. They just want to live right. They say, God, I want to live this thing right. I, I want to see the power of God move in my life. But there are certain things that we've been taught that's just not accurate. It's not that it's going to make you go to hell. It's just not going to make you have heaven on earth. It's not going to make the kingdom work in your life. And one of those things is we have to recognize obedience versus choice. All right, we got, you have to understand that, that, that. That when you understand God's sovereignty, you understand obedience. When you understand man's fall, you understand choice. And so the Bible says, children, do what to your parents? That's what it says, obey. So obedience is necessary because obedience reflects the fear of God. So back to Adam and Eve, you know I'm going to go back to the garden, right? You all know that. By now, y'all, y'all to know that. So God plants a tree in the midst of the garden. And he doesn't say, you have a choice. 
Look at God's will. I give you all of this, folks. All of this is yours. Come on. We got to give God praise for his abundance. I give you all of this. Everything you need is taken care of. I'm so good that the elements have to work in your favor. You could be naked. Come on. Think with a holy mind now, right? You know what I'm saying? Not what you look in the mirror now. That's the fall. Look at the original design. You feel me? Come on. I felt someone like, no, no, no. The original design was perfection. That I could be naked. Ooh, nothing hidden. Ooh. Everything open before God and before others. Kingdom living means I can be naked and transparent before you in this relationship. That's kingdom living. And so he puts it there and he says the issue is a matter of the heart, not choice. It's obedience. You wouldn't exist without me. So where do you get the ability to make a choice? I chose you. In my love, I chose to create you. In my love, I chose to provide for you. In my love, I called it, look at this good thing I've done. It was me that says, let the heavens, come on, uh, stars. It was me. It was, it was God who did everything. Didn't even ask your permission. And now we get the boldness to come and say, I can tell God what I want to do with my life. We don't really understand the nature of the fall, do we? That we're living from the fall. And he's saying, everyday living, you've got to live from this place. Because everyday living from the fall, you will always be hypocrites. You will always have fear, anxiety, and worry that plagues you. And Jesus is saying, I can't have that. I came to give you a way out. I came to let you know that the issue is obedience. It wasn't a choice. It was obedience. Now, how does that work with me being a free will individual? Simply this, a correct view of God would have told them, I can't do that, not because of choice, but because of obedience, because my heart is full of the fear of God. So how do you destroy temptations? Have the fear of God inside of you. Oh. The reason why I don't do that is not because you're pressuring me. The reason why I don't do it is because of God's peace and God's presence in my life. And that's a work in progress, folks. We're working to get there. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. No. We're working to get there. There's the fear of God. So, so, so why, why then? Should God or why can God command me to have the fear of God in my heart is simply this. Because of God's authority, verse 5. Don't fear the person who can kill the body and that's it. He says these religious people, Rome, yeah, they can kill your body, but that's it. That's all they can do. That's all they can do. That they can take you out and that's it. That's all they can do. And he's saying, why are you afraid when that's all they can do is just take your body? And the issue is this, is that the enemy wants to bring intimidation into us so that we will now be people who don't know God and we don't know God's authority. So we can't tell the enemy to back off. Why? Because we're intimidated by what other people are saying. And God is saying this. I don't want you to live a life as a hypocrite. So here is my authority that I have power not only to kill the body, but to cast it in hell. Woo. They were like, whoa. Whoa. Look what he's saying. Number two, he says God's affection. That's verse number six. 
And he says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God? God's affection. God is saying, look at the animal kingdom. And look what they do. And none of them is forgotten by me. And God is saying, not only do I give authority why you should fear me, but my affection is, I won't forget you. That I love you. That when you have the fear of God, you recognize God is for me, not against me. His affection is the things that I need in my life. And so, God, thank you. You know my name. We sang it earlier today. And number three, verse seven, he says this. Why even the hearers of your head and all are all numbered. Fear not. You are more valuable than a sparrow. He goes and talks about God's accountability. You can hold God accountable. You can hold God accountable. So these three things are vital because here's how you walk this thing out. So number one, your kingdom come, your will be done. Number two, it's the matter of the heart. Number three, your heart is full of the fear of God. So everyday living, free from hypocrisy, free from fear, free from anxiety, free from worry, all summarized now into this action. Someone say, take action. And this is where the church is. And I'm going to end with this. This is the message that God wants us to recognize right now. When you understand, this is how your light shines. This is how you have influence. This is how the power of God moves in your life. This is how you encounter God. Everything that you so desire and God desires for you is wrapped up in number four. Here it is now, and this is it. Always acknowledge Christ in public. Always acknowledge Christ in public. I'm not afraid of what you think about Jesus. I'm going to declare his worth. I'm going to declare his name. I'm going to do a praise break at work because you can't stop me. If you can take a break for something else, I can take a break and give God praise and glory. Come on. I'm acknowledging him in public. I'm not going to have anybody silence me from declaring who Christ is. I won't have the government. I won't have friends. I won't have anybody stop me from declaring the worth of God. If they can't do it in other nations where they go underground, you can't shut them up. They're going to praise God all the time. But we live, thank God, in a nation where we can open up our mouth and declare God's power. And what the world is saying is stop being a hypocrite. Open up your mouth and start declaring. You tell me what your God is doing if I'm supposed to believe you. Tell me what God is doing in your life by showing me what God is doing. Acknowledge God in public. We used to have testimony service. Come on. Remember that at nighttime? Well, we canceled that. Testimony service. Of telling somebody, here's what God did in my life. Here's what God is doing in my life. We used to call them popcorn testimonies. Well, we used to acknowledge, I remember when we used to have devotion at Magon's uh, parents' house, and, and, and I would get caught there, and I'm trying to get out before they start devotion, and they would come down the steps, when mothers, I'm like, oh gosh, man, I'm stuck. You know what I mean? And everyone has to give a testimony. And they were looking and said, so what? God hasn't been good to you? <laughs> God hasn't been good to you? Come on. He woke you up, didn't he? Well, yes. Yeah, so I'll give him praise. He got you in the right mind, right? So give him praise. Come on. He's keeping you safe. Give him praise. Come on. Somebody. We ought to open up our mouth and give God a praise like we know that God is worthy of it. Hallelujah. This is not a funeral. It's a resurrection. Every... 
good God Almighty. I wish I had one person who doesn't care what people think will stand to their feet and says, God, I thank you. Hey. Woo! I will not be a hypocrite. No, 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 no. I'm in my right mind. Thank you, Jesus. Say hey, glory to God. Woo! Watch this now. Come on, hallelujah. See, the world thinks we're hypocrites because we're not making his name famous, oh God. That we got to tell the world every time a mic comes to our mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's why we do the billboard, not TGP. Jesus Christ is Lord. You go to that church where they shout, you better believe it. You go to that place where they're running dance, you better believe it. You go to that place where they speak in tongues, you better believe it. Where are you going? You better get to a Holy Ghost filled place where the Spirit of God is moving. Always acknowledge Christ in public. Always. My God is so good. Jesus told them, He said, if you don't acknowledge me in public, I'm not going to acknowledge you before my Father. Jesus said that. So we have kids asking, mom and dad. People asking, but the way you live, I don't know if God's even at work. And he is, but we're just not willing to share it. Because maybe we think it's no big deal. But I'm here to tell you. So my, my, my daughter, and um, she's driving her car, and as we're preparing for her next transition, and we dropped off of the car, and she drives, and she stops at the gas station, and she gets fuel, and she's driving home, and she says, Dad, the battery light is on the car. And I'm like, are you still driving? She goes, yeah, I'm like, keep driving. And I said, well, 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 get the car home. You know, bring, bring the car, bring, bring it home. And all of a sudden, I just felt the Lord says, no, get it, get it to the place we can get a battery right now. And she goes, okay, and she gets right there. And the battery doesn't quit until she lands right in the parking spot. I'm acknowledging God in public. Come on, somebody. And I said, God, look how good you are. Look how good you are. Now, the question is, what if something would have happened? Would I still acknowledge God? You better believe it. Because experience don't change the encounter. It's the encounter that changes the experience. And that's when encounter night is so vital because the purpose of an encounter night is not just to get together so we can just be a club. It's to get together so the encounter changes our experience so we won't live a hypocritical life that God is not working. So if we get the battery changed or we're trying to get one and I'm... And I'm trying to run a deal. I'm like, come on, man, you know, give me a coupon. You know, I'm trying to get a deal. I'm like, and so all of a sudden, I, I God is so good. I, we, we, the car has the battery in the back. Like, go figure. The battery in the back. And if you know me, you know I'm not a handyman. So for me to actually do that. So I said, hey, I got to call someone. Greg, can you come help me? <laughs> I call him. He comes. And we look at the battery, and he's like, no, no don't, don't buy it from there. See, I'm teaching her everyday living. He's like, no, look at the battery again. We're like, oh, my gosh, that's where we got it from. It was cheaper. We went and got the thing, and we came, and, and um, 
we changed the battery, so she drove it the next day. She drove it to, 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 to work and whatever she had to do. And now she's coming back home again. I'm about to go golf. And I got my golf clubs ready, and I'm like teeing off, and I'm ready. I get a phone call. Hey, Dad, the battery light's on again, and the airbag light's on, and the power is shutting down. I'm like, oh, my goodness, where are you? She says, I'm on 23. And uh, I said, can you pull over to the side? And she says, yes. Now, come on, parents. You know all the things going through my mind. I'm like, oh, my word. She pulls over. me like, stay on the phone. And we get there, and we realize that the belt was was belt came off and it wasn't generating anything and I got there and I'm under you know under the hood and again you know me I don't work with cards you know what I mean so I call Blaine <laughs> I said son <laughs> he goes I'm gonna call him and he comes and he hooks this thing up and he's driving we're t- I don't know he's he's driving and his lights are on I'm doing my best and and we get it to the mechanic and just get it right there and I got back home and I said to God, you're so faithful. You're so faithful. You've always taken care of my family. What are the odds on the side of the road? See, there are so many things we can acknowledge God in. And so the remainder of that statement is this. See, because in Matthew 10, he only says that part, acknowledge me before people and I'll acknowledge you in Matthew 10, 32, 33. But Luke, I told you earlier that Luke wants us to recognize that we are people of the Spirit. And so always acknowledge Christ in public is one thing. But Luke goes on as Jesus is writing here and he says this. And the rest of it is this. And the power of the Holy Spirit at work. What our nation needs is a church filled with the Spirit of God and recognize the power of the Holy Spirit at work. Everyone that's here, the Holy Spirit's at work in your life. The question is whether you're obedient to it or not. The question is how much of God do you want? Or how many, or how much anxiety, worry, and fear you want? See, please understand what I'm getting at is that is there a time when you have to public speak and the fear comes in? That's normal. That wasn't part of the original, but it's normal. It's normal emotion to have certain fears. They protect us from doing things, but that's because God is so gracious in his compassion that in our fall, he still provides. It's called his sovereignty. It's called his grace. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That he says he sends his rain to fall on the just and the unjust. That God is so gracious. And so there is an aspect of fear that the world through media and through all the different means are going to try to use to get to your emotion. It is, it is normal, but it's not original. And what is original, though, is the power of the Holy Spirit at work. And so as I, as, as I end, as I, as I launch you out with this, what I'm encouraging you to do is this. In order, hear me clearly, church. In order for us to live every day free from hypocrisy, fear, anxiety, and worry, we must be people of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Outside of the work of the Holy Spirit, you will continue to try to live religious and judgmental. And so it is vital that people are introduced to the Holy Spirit because Jesus says 
that if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it cannot be forgiven. And it's not to bring fear of like, oh my gosh, I think I've made the unpardonable sin. No, you're missing it. He's saying that if you don't acknowledge God and you don't acknowledge the Son of Man, if you deny the Holy Spirit's work of bringing judgment and compassion and conviction to your life, you have denied the Holy Spirit's redemptive work in your life. And he says to do that would be for you to reject God. And he doesn't want that. And we don't want that for anybody. That the reason why you must acknowledge the Spirit's work at your life so someone can say, God is at work in my life. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. It's 1154. I don't want you to take this piece of paper and just toss it, put it in your Bible. And what I want you to do this week is to read these four things that I went through. So today, Jesus... I declare your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. I'm going to enter into the world. There are people who don't know you, Jesus. My loved ones don't know you. My coworkers don't know you. So my prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, my heart is easily distracted. My heart is being fought for. And so I say, because it's a matter of the heart, search my heart, God. And let your agenda govern my decision-making. Heavenly Father, there is a lot of things out there that's trying to cause me to fear. That those things want to possess my heart and push you out. But right now, I ask that my heart will be full of the fear of God. That I'll reverence honor and worship you in every decision that I make today. And number four, I will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will acknowledge Christ in public and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in my life. That's how I live. Every day. 
If that is your heart cry this morning. I want us to, where we're seated, just to bow your heads. And let the Holy Spirit minister to you. No distraction. Holy Spirit, do the work in my life. Come on. He's healing. He's healing. We give you thanks, Jesus. He's doing a work. He's doing a work. It's a good work. He that began a good work in you will complete it. So that every day you can live free from. Let him do the work. Let him do the work. Let him do the work. Hallelujah. He's doing a work, my God. Ah. He's doing a work. He's doing the work. Let him do the work. Richard, keep playing. God is doing a work. I don't want to interrupt it. So for those of you who have to leave, I pray blessing upon you. And remember, God's doing a work. And for those whose schedule allows for you to be just a little bit longer with us, I want to invite you, either at your seat or at this altar, At your seat or come to this altar and just rest just for a minute and let him do the work that he needs to do before you leave and go through those doors. Let him do the work. Mm.
so we can see our Let them do the work. Let them do the work. Do the work in my family, Jesus. That every day we can see evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in my life. Go ahead, Rich, and play. I surrender. Yes. I want to know you, Lord. I surrender. I surrender. I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you, Lord. I surrender. Every day, I surrender. I want to know you more. I want to know you more. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you, and I praise you, and I worship you. As we leave this place, we never leave your presence. Continue the work that you're doing in our lives so that every day living, free from hypocrisy, fear, anxiety, and worry, will be the testimony, will be the testimony of your great work. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.